With a common criticism about the church, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You know, one of the biggest complaints of churches, whether you're a church of 50, whether you're a church of 500, it doesn't matter. It's the same complaint across the board. And that is, is that when people come in, they don't feel welcomed because there are too many cliques, just like high school. You got this little group over here, this little group over here, and they're all turned inward and have no desire for anything outward. And God just doesn't bless that. Like for you to have your own little click. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for Clicks are not the only problem the church faces today, as we'll hear on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We each have our ideas on what a church should and shouldn't do. God has some ideas too. We'll learn about them in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with more on what a church and its members are not to do from Proverbs 6 and verse 16. Here's Pastor Ed. These six things the Lord hates and seven are an abomination to him. So we want to know, what does God hate? And you may have never noticed this before, but I want you to see it. Verse 17 says, He hates a proud look, and a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that are swift to running in evil. Pause there just for a second. Look, tongue, hands, heart, feet. That's a partial description of a body, a dysfunctioning body body parts that aren't fulfilling what God's called them to do. But then it changes. And he says in verse 19, now it's a person, a false witness. God has hatred toward a liar, a false witness, who just speaks lies. And one who sows discord, where? Among brethren. When you choose to sow seeds of discord, and you choose to be divisive, and you choose to bite the juicy apple of gossip and spread it to destroy a man, to destroy a woman, when you're involved in division in any church anywhere, you are on the other side of God's hatred. And this is just one of those verses where you got to let the Bible say what it says, because it's uncomfortable. You might want to go around and what does the Hebrew word mean and how does this work and I don't know and what about the new covenant? Look, listen, listen. God is God. He changes not. And that even with the blood of Jesus Christ covering our lives, God still hates the person that sows seeds of discord because it hurts the body. And we're not just any body. We're the body of Christ. And you know, if you think about it, from God's perspective, the church body is unified Whenever we're finding ourselves in Christ, his body is not as spastic as it looks to us. It's unified. It's still, he loves us and he sees us as his children in unity despite our bad behavior. Because in him, by his grace, we are unified. Even though we might choose to sin along the way, we are unified. So from God's perspective, the church is in unity. But by the time it gets to us, we're fighting over this and this little secondary thing over here and this third thing over here and these things that are... Like, you take a stand for doctrine, the character and nature of God, the nature of salvation. We don't compromise on those. But on other things that are secondary opinions, we shouldn't be dividing over them. We should just accept that people do things differently. 
and allow God to do his work among us as we worship together. And here's the problem. The problem is, is that our minds are skewed when it comes to church. And we may like our church better than that church and this church over here, but the church is one of filled with true believers. And this little church, Calvary, is just a small part, a small infinitesimal part of the big picture of God's plan on the earth today. We're an important part, don't misunderstand me, but a small part nonetheless. But we want to be a significant part and be faithful to what God's called us to do. And he doesn't mess around with division. It's just not good. Let me give you a couple, couple definitions for the church as you understand it in this text, because the words used all over the New Testament, and there's actually two Greek words that help us understand, because remember the New Testament, the original language of the New Testament is Greek. It was the first century language. The, the language of the Middle East was, was Greek because it was the common language of the day that the Romans adopted from the Greeks. It was, it's called Koine Greek, which was common language. It was like the common slang of the day. So there's two words that were written in, in Greek. There's two words that we get from Greek from the New Testament I want to share with you. Number one is the word ecclesia or ecclesia is also, it depends on how you pronounce it. But you can spell that E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. And that's found in Matthew chapter 16 and over a hundred other times in the Bible. And it means this, called out ones. To describe the church, we are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. And in the first century, that particular Greek word referred to a gathering of citizens that were called out of their homes into some public gathering space together to hear a message from the government. So you would leave your homes, come to a common place to hear a message. Doesn't that sound like the church? You came, you left your homes to a common place to hear not a message from the government, but a message from the Lord Jesus Christ through his word, the called out one. Secondly, there's another word that's used in James chapter 2 and other places, but James chapter 2 where it says, if there should someone come into your assembly, here's the Greek word, sunagoge, sunagoge, S-U-N-A-G-O-G-U-E is how I have it. That word might sound familiar. It's also used to describe the synagogue. And the word means assembly. And a whole denomination today has adopted this word to describe themselves. The assembly of God. And what that refers to is a group of churches that were coming together assembling in God to worship him. It's a great word. And so think about this. A called out ones that come to assemble together. I love it. That's a cool way of looking at us. That God is saying, I'm bringing you together for worship and encouragement. You're saved from the world to go back into the world. And it's amazing how you guys come from all over. And even joining us through technology. Gathered from all social backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different racial backgrounds. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say to Peter, on this rock, I will build my monastery. Or on this rock, I will build my private little meeting space. Or on this rock, I will create a little Christian club or huddle or clique. Do you know one of the biggest complaints of churches, whether you're a church of 50, whether you're a church of 500, or 50,000 gathering? It doesn't matter. It's the same complaint across the board. And that is, is that when people come in, they don't feel welcomed because there are too many cliques, just like high school. You got this little group over here, this little group over here, and they're all turned inward. 
and have no desire for anything outward. And God just doesn't bless that. Like for you to have your own little clique. Part of our energy as leaders is to go around breaking up cliques. It's not that you can't have friends, but why would you spend your time talking only to your friends when there's a hurting person coming through the door? Or there's a person wandering around? Or there's a person that needs prayer? Or there's a person that needs encouragement? Or there's a person that needs you? You are needed in the body. Church is not just coming and sitting and listening and leaving. That's not church. You can do that a lot of different ways. You can go to the movies, sit, watch, listen, and leave. You can do that in a lot of different places but it's not the church. This time that we reserve for Bible study is for the sake of building you up, teaching you, equipping you, preparing you, and then mobilizing you. And here's what it says. Don't miss this in Hebrews 10. We are to consider one another. Why? So that we might stir up love and good works. You have a responsibility. Let's start with me. I have a responsibility. I'm here today And you might read this and go, well, Ed, you're the one that's doing it right now. You're the one that's supposed to stir up in love and good works. You're right. I am. I'm the one that's supposed to stir up love and good works. I'm the one that's supposed to consider you when you come to church. I'm the one that is here to serve you, to be available to you, to to find my life pointing you to the love and the grace and the mercy, calling you to repentance, calling you to obedience. You're right. I am. I I am. That's my responsibility. But let me clarify for you. I am not the only one that's responsible to consider one another for love and good works. We all have the same responsibility. We all have the same responsibility. Now, there is a distinction right now because I'm a part of this body of Christ in a particular spiritual gifting and a particular role that God ordains. So there is some kind of difference between us where I have the role of pastor, teacher. My responsibility is to pray, study the word, and serve you by teaching. You're right, that's a distinction. But everyone here has spiritual gift, and everyone here has a role. And when we gather together, it is not merely for us to hear a Bible study or to sing a few songs. It is for us to worship the holy, true, righteous God and consider one another. It is your responsibility. It is our responsibility. We believe here at Calvary in what the Bible teaches as the priesthood of the saints. That means we all have been given our marching orders to love and serve one another. And the Bible says right here, we should consider one another all the time. Not just with our friends. Most likely if you're hanging out in a little clique, maybe that offended you. Maybe it brought some conviction. May the Lord use that in your life. You're hanging out with people. You, know, you probably have their phone number. Call them 15 minutes after service. But for those 15 minutes, serve someone. Love someone. Make yourself available to God. Ask someone. And this is the easiest way to connect. You know, we have this greeting thing and people think, well, what's the big deal? I don't want to greet anyone. What do you mean you don't want to greet anyone? It's the beginning of considering one another. It's not just, hello, 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 hello. Get on with the program, hello, hello. No. Sometimes it happens that way. But that's not God's heart. You know, people wear their emotions on their eyes, their shoulders, where they sit. You have been around for church for a while. If you noticed a family that used to sit up front and they're sitting way in the back, that would be a good reason to ask them a question because they can't go much farther until they go out the doors. So what's happening in their life? You sit in the same section in a church like this and you don't see people that you used to sit with, you should check up on them. 
They go, hey, that's yours to check up on him. No, you should check up on him. You sit next to him. I have my own section where I sit. <laughs> if I see someone missing or I see someone new, I'm excited for him. I look him in the eye. I look to see if God's going to lead me to serve them in some way. If you are coming in just for the sake of doing some religious duty, you are missing out. And we're missing out. Because we're here for you, but you're here for us. And we want to consider one another. And notice what he says. We want to learn not to forsake. We want to learn not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, it says. The assembling of ourselves. Because some people are doing that, it says. But we need to do it more. We need to exhort so that much more as we see the day approaching. What I'm talking about should be increasing, not decreasing. And we need to learn how to, how to not forsake this time. Not forsake it. Now, part of not forsaking it would include just, I'm not going to church. I don't want to go to, I don't want to hang out. I don't want to go to church. And I just, I don't need that. I meet people from time, time to time. I go, well, okay, Ed, if you're the pastor and if I'm the church and, and I'm with another believer, then, then I can have church on the golf course. I can have, I will go every Sunday. I'm scheduling church, 10 a.m. on the links. That's church. Let me just say, you can have church on the golf course. Yes, you can. You can have real meaningful fellowship on the golf course, for sure. Others would say, well, wait a minute. If I'm the church, why do I need to gather in one place? I can worship God in my car on the way to work. You're right. You can worship God on the way to work. Yes, you can worship God in your cubicle. You can worship God in your kitchen. You can gather together with believers. You can worship God and you can enjoy church because you're the church. However, however, that does not mean that God says you can forsake the gathering of the church. We look at things like either or, but God says, no, you want to worship me on the golf course? Go for it. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. You want to worship me in your cubicle? Yes, do it. I'll take all the worship you have. Don't you forsake the gathering together, especially in the last days. You should be gathering together more, not less. And this isn't like a religious mandate. As you grew up maybe coming to say, oh, I go to church because it makes me feel good. I go to church because then I'll be a good, good boy, a good girl. I go to church because somebody made me go and I just feel like I'm a better Christian because I go to church. That's not... That's not at all God's heart and will for you. You don't go to church to make you feel good. You don't go to church to make God feel better. You go to church because, man, you know that you're not going to forsake this time. You need this time. You want this time. And you want to consider one another. Like your whole deal is about other people. I grew up in a religious tradition in my home, kind of moral parents. But I grew up with coming to church. And in my closet, I had two types of clothes. I had regular clothes. And then in the corner, I had my church clothes. And man, it was a big deal not to mess up my church clothes. I couldn't mess up. I couldn't play in my church clothes. I couldn't look at my church clothes. I couldn't do anything. But the strange thing as a kid is my church clothes looked a lot like all the rest of my clothes, but I couldn't wear all the rest of my clothes to church. Somehow, my mom thought that didn't please God. My mom thought, you can only please God with these clothes. And I literally wore the same clothes to church every Sunday that we went to church. But God doesn't see it like that. Do you know God doesn't see it like that? God doesn't see, well, you know what? There's some really, there, you dressed up for me. I love you more than the guy over here. And I'm not pointing at anyone. I'm closing my eyes. Like it's like, but you know, it's like, it's, it's one thing to say, no, I feel good. I want, I want to present my best just, just between me and the Lord. That's different than thinking, well, I'm going to put on my church clothes because I'm going to church. Listen, 
when you're here, he just wants you to wear clothes. That's it. That's all. Just come with clothes, please. Please. You see, God loves you. And when you gather together, you need people and people need you. Even the most introverted. We have a problem today, and I think you recognize it. Technology has really changed our thinking. Technology has changed our attitude. Specifically in our latest generation, social media has really redefined things for us. Social media has redefined long-standing definitions of things. They are doing studies now, but I know in future generations, they're going to study this generation and go, man, social media jacked those guys up, changed everything. And we're living through it, so we don't feel it all that much. But let me show you. The studies are telling us that the increase of technology is actually making our society become more isolated and more lonely and more discouraged and more depressed than any other generation. And here we are. You're on Facebook there and you go, Ed, well, I'm on Facebook. I have 10,000 friends. No, you don't. Because you've even allowed, and we just watched it happen, but you may have allowed Facebook to redefine what friend actually means. And a friend is not some digital thumbs up on your screen. Friends are made eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder. Friendships are developed not by posts and argumentations online. Friendships are developed over time and testing. Friendships are important to God. But social media has this allure, it has this facade. And even in social media, you're only getting one side of the story. It's creating all this discouragement because what gets posted at times is just the highlight reels and all the good things that happen. Very rarely are people posting the bad things that are happening in their life because if they posted bad things every day, they'd see a lot of clicks of unfollowing and unfriending because it's changed our thinking. And what I'm sharing with you is in no way for you to abandon social media. It is the technology of the day. I personally use it myself to get the gospel out and to share a part of my life and to share a part of your life. But it doesn't replace real friendship and real relationship. It doesn't replace the reality of the body of Christ. Some of you might be watching online right now, and online is not the same as being here. It's not the same. Now, we provide this online stream for the sake of people that can't be here. Maybe you're sick. Maybe your kids are sick. Perhaps you're in a hospital room or like gathering together in a jail room, you know, worshiping God together. There are reasons for technology, but technology doesn't replace the real thing. And how careful we need to be because we're becoming more isolated, but we have more information about people's lives. We come together. We don't forsake it. You could even be here, you could be physically here and still forsake the gathering. And you go, what do you mean? I'm here. Yeah, but you're not here considering one another to stir up love and good works. You're here, but you're not here. You're physically present, but spiritually and mentally you're somewhere else reserving yourself. And God will use every personality type. You don't have to become an extrovert to be a friend, to serve someone, to pray with them to see their, sh their shoulders drooping or a tear coming down their eye, just to go check in on them. Are you doing okay? You used to come with some and so-and-so, but I see you come alone now. And then you find out, because God ordained you to find out that the woman that you're ministering to is now a widow. 
and her funeral of her husband of 30 years was just a couple weeks ago. There are times you go, how am I supposed to know those types of things, Ed? By considering one another to stir up love and good works. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to fulfill the high calling of God upon my life. That's the real church. That's where love flows. We need to be together. And we are together more and more, especially as the day approaches, not less. It's not compulsory. It's not that you have to get six pair of church clothes because you got to be at church more and you have to be or have to be here. No, it's, let's not forsake this assembling. Let's not pretend we don't need it. Let's not avoid gathering. Let's not doing our own thing in the world, but now do it more because we love one another and we're, we're wanting to see people brought to the kingdom. I need this. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into this church family not wanting to be here, not really wanting to do anything, but stay in bed with the covers over my head. And I came into this room, and as soon as the first sound of music started, the first time the environment began, the Holy Spirit began to shower His love on me. You would have never known that, but I know it. And it happened in this room. It doesn't happen exclusively in this room, but there is something special about people gathering together. This room is a dark, empty, cavernous place when you aren't here. The kids are running around while with the school during the day downstairs and all place, but they generally leave this room dark and empty. And it really is dark, empty, and cold in here when you're not here, especially in the evenings. But as you begin to come and gather, as the lights get turned on, the music, as the church gathers in an empty room, the room comes alive. Why? Because Jesus is alive inside of you. And everywhere you go, you bring the light of Christ into someone's life. And listen, hear it from my heart. The day is approaching of the coming of the Son of Man. And we want to fill heaven. That's our desire. We want to fill heaven. We will stop at nothing short of sin to reach the lost. We're not interested in growing a church. We're interested in growing the church of Jesus Christ and seeing people saved. Because the people that get saved are your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads, your coworkers, your neighbors, people that you love and care for. And the greatest thing that can happen to them is that they might be born again. The greatest thing that can happen to you is that you might be born again. And take these things to heart. You're discouraged, depressed, even if you can't get out of bed, at the very least, to go ahead and turn on technology, watch online, listen on the radio for the sake of saying, but God, I want to be there. I want to be there. I got to be there. I need to be there. Lord, give me the strength so I can gather with the saints. I can sing with the saints. I can enjoy the saints. And I, I mean, there are people here, oh, I'm only here because mom made me. Okay, all right. Your mom made you be here. I'm glad you listened because it would have been worse if you didn't. So I'm glad you're here. But while you're here, God is revealing to you, it's not about your mom making you anything. God wants you to know that he loves you and cares about your life and your future and what's in store for you. And if you'll just put down all the facade, you just put down all the resistance and just say, God, I surrender my life to you, amazing things will happen. It's a beautiful thing, the church, isn't it? <laughs> I'm glad God created it. I'm glad that he did it. I'm glad that we get to be a part of it. It's a miracle of God that we're a part of His church. Pastor Ed Taylor describing the miracle of the church. It truly is a beautiful thing. Trust you're a part of it and that you gather with the church this week. 
This is Abounding Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to hear the message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Pastor Ed is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners, just like you. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, be sure to request The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. You'll observe Jesus as the ultimate servant and discover how to become great in the kingdom of God through servanthood. Call 877-30-GRACE and don't forget to request the Jesus style. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Pastor Ed always enjoys hearing from his listeners. Even just a quick hello means a lot. To request prayer, ask a question, or to let us know what God is up to in your life, email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of Hebrews. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 